We're in our third week of a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I hope you found it to be as challenging and ultimately helpful as I am to walk through this sermon and Jesus kind of reorients us in what we think is important, what the life of faith looks like, and calls us to something higher and better than just legalism and going through the motions. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read beginning in verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. So do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yesterday, I did one of my favorite things in all of the world. I went to a baseball field to watch a scrimmage. And the Lord was particularly kind yesterday because it wasn't raining. It wasn't 30 degrees. It wasn't quite yet like 70, what I'm, I'm longing for. But it was kind of like a good happy medium, and, and people were playing baseball, and so it was just this wonderful, if you are still one of those people that thinks baseball is boring, I can only pray for you and hope the Lord will open your eyes to see the game for the beauty that it is. Anyways, I love baseball and for lots of different reasons, and being out there yesterday made me think about the fact that, that baseball tournaments are coming and I both love and hate baseball tournaments, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I love while I'm watching my children play. I do not like waiting around all day for the next game in, you know, exotic destinations around small towns around Alabama. Uh, but anyways, it's fun unless, unless you fall to the consolation game. Now, you know that when you sign up for these tournaments, one of the things they tell you, we guarantee you how many games? three games. Win, lose, or draw, you will watch your child play three times. But all of us know that we hope that there's more than three. Hope that you win it. Hope you make a run on Sunday and we've got everybody pitching, testing the arm arm strength of young boys. You make that run, but if you get the Sunday 8 a.m. game, nobody wants to be there. You don't want to be there. The other team doesn't want to be there. You're just playing it out because they promised you that you get three games and here's your third game and it's the consolation game to get like not last. It's like we went and spent all day, Friday, all day Saturday, we gave up church on Sunday and we're going to play to not be last. And there's been parts of me that thought, why don't we just, let's go ahead and sack the backs literally and go home. Because you're just kind of out there, like, going through the motions. Yeah, you get a few extra reps, but, you know, it, it, it's, everybody's hearts are turned to different things. And you're kind of just finishing the tournament. Now, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world to play in the consolation game. But I think a lot of us go through life kind of like life is the consolation game. And we kind of go through life and we think about Christianity in terms of, okay, are you saved? 
Have you confessed faith in Jesus? Have you been baptized? And we kind of think, all right, that's the really, like, that's the important part. And, like, if you've checked that part off, then we can just kind of, it's a consolation game. Show up if you want to. You don't have to. Nothing really at stake here anymore in how you live your lives. And we don't really, we wouldn't say it that explicitly, but we kind of act that way sometimes. But nothing's really at stake in how it is that we live our lives. And as I've been thinking through that this week, and I've been reading Dallas Willard, which is a book that I would commend to you, um, The Divine Conspiracy, one of the things he says in there is that, that as Paul was doing, carrying out his ministry, one of the challenges that Paul had was he had these Judaizers who would come behind him. And, he, and these Judaizers would say, hey, we're going to take Christianity and we're going to make it a little bit more Jewish. And you have to take on things like circumcision, you have to take on things like food laws, that if you Gentiles really want to be a part of God's people, like really all the way in, then you've got to do all these things. And Paul was always pushing against that to say, no, all that you have to have is faith in Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, where you're from, and you're fully in. You're fully in, and you're part of God's kingdom. But in our own day, we have a different temptation. We're not so much tempted to add the ritual law to faith in Christ as much as we are to subtract the moral law from faith in Christ. And to say, hey, here's the deal. As long as you have faith in Jesus, as long as you've been saved, then kind of how you live your life outside of that, we approach it like a consolation game. And we're just kind of going through the motions with nothing really at stake. Dallas Willard would finish that paragraph and say that perhaps the greatest challenge of the church in the 21st century is to understand how to combine faith and obedience. How to understand that our righteousness is all through faith in Jesus Christ, nothing that we do, but that there is this expectation that you and I would yield our lives in obedience to God's plans and purposes in the world. And we see that here in Matthew chapter 5 in this next section in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And Jesus had to say that because there were going to be people in his ministry that were going to accuse him of downplaying the importance of the law and the prophets. Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. I want to give you an example of this. Matthew chapter 12. I want to start in verse 9 in a second. One of the biggest issues that Jesus faced during his earthly ministry was how people understood the Sabbath. Now, growing up, if you're, if you're my age, if you're at least 44, you understand this. Maybe if you're like really young, you're like, what do you mean? Sunday's like every other day. But growing up, it, it wasn't. Sunday was like really different. And we tried to figure out what you could do on the Sabbath and what you couldn't do. I'll give you a quiz. You just give me like thumbs up, thumbs down. Hunting on the Sabbath, allowed or not. There you go. I see some good Baptists out there. Yeah. I don't know why, but we couldn't do that. Um, playing in a Sunday morning baseball game. <laughs> yeah, like we all knew that one was out. Um, but it was just like this weird, 
And we didn't really know why we chose one thing and not the other thing. There was this weird kind of cultural thing happening there of what was allowed. Um, eating unhealthy food and sleeping. Yeah, that was like definitely a Sabbath observance. Like fried chicken, and you turn the NASCAR race on, and you sleep. And you can wake up and see who didn't wreck. Like there's this Sabbath observance thing that we didn't really know. In Jesus' day, Sabbath observance was, it was a life and death kind of thing. And they knew that you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. So then the question is, well, what is work? We've got to define it. If we're going to know if you break in the rule or not, we've got to know what work is. And so Jesus all the time is doing things on the Sabbath that makes these religious people and authorities really nervous. And this is what he says. This is what happens in verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him? So imagine we were here this morning, and somebody walks up with some infirmary. Let's say they, they have a withered hand too. And there's some particularly religious people among us, and they say, Hey, Wayne, can we heal him or not? Hey, I'm thumbs up on that. I'm thinking, Why not? Seems like a great thing to do to me. If we have the ability to do good on the Sabbath, we should do it. But the Pharisees were not those kind of people. Because they would qualify that as work. And so they're like, all right, let's see what Jesus is going to do with this law that we have. Jesus does this in verse 11. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So, if it's, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus says, hey, if you got a sheep out there in the field and it falls in the ditch, you're going to get it out on the Sabbath or not? And they're all like, of course. Duh. He's like, well, isn't a person so much more valuable than a sheep? Wouldn't I do this good work on the Sabbath? Obvious answer is Yes. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. And they all rejoiced. They should have, shouldn't they? Like, that should be the next line. People lost their minds, praising the Lord, trying to figure out what happened. Um, It's not what happened. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus doing this on the Sabbath so disrupted their understanding of the law and what was allowed and what was not allowed that Jesus doing these things on the Sabbath motivates them not just to oppose him but to ultimately destroy them. Because their hearts were so locked into law. Is it allowed? What's allowed? What qualifies? And there were people who thought they were pursuing righteousness, I think, maybe. Let's give Pharisees the benefit of the doubt. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. There were people who were zealous for the law, and they were so zealous that imagine that th- this is a swimming pool. What do we build around swimming pools? Anybody? Fences. Why? We don't want young children or those who can't swim to fall in, correct? And so we try to protect them from what might. The Pharisees took a similar approach to God's law. And they would say, okay, if this is the law, 
we want to make so sure that we don't transgress the law that we're going to make extra laws. We're going to kind of wrap them around God's law just to kind of make sure that we never get close to doing something wrong. And so Jesus comes to people with this motivation to, to be righteous, to make sure that they crossed every T and dotted every I. And he says, you're missing the whole point of the law. And so he had to say right here from the beginning, hey, I've not come to, to undermine the law or its authority or the prophets. That's not what I've come to do, but I've come to fulfill them. And then Jesus would go on throughout his life and ministry to, to show what it looks like to, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus really clearly here is saying, I care how my disciples live. I really care how my disciples live in the world. That obedience and teaching God's word to others is important. And then verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you read that initially and you're like, well, I'm out. Thanks. I guess the kingdom of heaven's not for me because I've tried to keep the law. I've tried to be good enough. I've tried to do enough things, and it never really works out for me. I always mess up, and I always fall short. So what's, what's Jesus getting at? Jesus is getting at that there's, a, there's an understanding of, of faith in Christ and us pursuing him as disciples that, that doesn't lead us to be people who have no regard for the law and kind of decide that we're going to live however it is that we want to live, that we're saved, and so everything else doesn't really matter. But also that there's a way to pursue righteousness that doesn't turn you into a Pharisee. Such that you're now like, okay, I'm doing this right, and I'm going to look down my nose at everybody who's not and wonder why they can't get their act together. But there is this pursuit of righteousness that, that acknowledges that all that we have in our salvation is a result of God's grace and his mercy in our lives. And then we are awakened to the love that he has shown us such that now we want to go out in the world and not just kind of do the least we can to get by, but we want to yield ourselves fully to his plans and his purposes. And we're no longer asking the question, can I or do I have to? But we're asking the question, what would love require of me in this circumstance? When I first came to the church, I was a youth minister. And look out here, some, I even knew some of you back in those days. I was a youth minister. And one fun question as a youth minister, I'm not going to explain in detail what we mean here, but how far is too far? It's like a great question for every youth minister. It's like kids are like exploring lives and pushing boundaries. It's like, well, can I do this? Well, can I go here? Well, how about here? They're like, no, 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 you can't go there. But there's this, there's this desire in our lives to say, I want to push the envelope and this rebelliousness in our own hearts and lives of like, how far can I go or what can I do or what's allowed or do I have to? And all of us who are parents, like we get this deep down. If you're here and you uh, 
have parents in the room, just raise your hand if they give you rules. Yep. And kids turn into like really good attorneys. Like I feel like some of you could be great attorneys already. Because your parents are like, you can't go X. And then you think, hmm. Well, you didn't say anything about Y. So maybe I can go there. Even though you know in your heart of hearts, I ain't supposed to be there either. And your parents are like, well, why didn't you go wherever? And you're like, well, you didn't say anything about there. You just said, don't go here. And the kid knows and you know that we're not, we're not on the same wavelength, right? That overall what we desire as parents is for our kids to believe that we love them, one, and that these boundaries we're putting in their lives ultimately is for their good and flourishing. And that it's not just kind of like, okay, can I do this? Can I not do this? I'm trying to tiptoe around to not be technically guilty. And that's what God is at work at in our hearts and our lives as well. That what God desires for us is for us to respond to all that he's done for us in Jesus and to acknowledge that he loves us. And it was the same in the Old Testament. Did you hear that in Deuteronomy that I read? That God's desire for his people in the Old Testament was to what? Love him. And then see his righteous rules as like this gift to lead them into life. And when you get to the New Testament, the same idea is up and running. That you and I would respond to all that God's done for us in Jesus with love. And we know that we can't earn anything. We can't be good enough to warrant his love. But we also know that he is a loving Heavenly Father who's guiding us into paths of righteousness, both for our good and his glory. And so then we start asking the question, not do I have to or can I? But we start asking the question, would what, what would love require? If God loves me this much, then what would it look like for me to love him? And it's going to lead you down to paths that legalism won't. And so starting next week, we're going to hear Jesus unpacking all of these different commandments that, that people understood and tried to obey. And he'll say, you've heard it was said, don't murder, for example. I'm not going to do show of hands. Likely you haven't murdered anybody. And you're like, hey, I pass. Didn't kill anybody. And you're just going to say, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but there's a deeper thing that you would see and acknowledge the image of God in every person and value them like he values them and be worried even about anger in your heart. Not just the act, but the heart attitude underlying something like that and it opens up Christianity to not be just kind of this don't be terrible or what are the limits or do I have to do what am I required to do to what does it look like for me as a person who's been saved by grace through faith and God's steadfast unending love for me what does it look like for me to then be that kind of person in the world and it's harder than law, and it's better than law. And it yields so much more fruit as God changes our hearts to be those kind of people that then go out in the world and represent him. I'd like you to pray with me.
God, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, we pray that you'd save us from two extremes. Um, Help us to not be people that think um, that your word and your commands have no importance in our lives, that they're optional, that we can kind of live our lives how we want with no no regard for others and no regard for your kingdom. And also save us from legalism and a sense of righteousness that we could somehow earn it in our own power and strength. But Lord, help us to, to consider what it might look like, like Paul writes in Galatians, to understand that we're free from the law, but that we've been called not to use our freedom for our own fleshly desires, but we've been called to use our freedom to love you and to love others in a way that represents and shows forth the the gospel of Jesus Christ. We offer this prayer in your son's name. Amen.